Let's ask God to help us. Father God, thank you that your word is so available for us and that we can meet here this morning to read it, consider it. Uh, Help all of us sit under your authority this morning, please. Help me to be uh, faithful and clear about what it is that you say in Jeremiah. Help us all to be obedient to you. We thank you for this opportunity, Father. Amen. Uh, Robin Ockrant is a 35-year-old Chicago wife and yoga teacher who had a bit of an interesting year last year, Um, interesting in the sense that she decided to spend a whole year doing exactly what Oprah Winfrey told her to do. Uh, What Robin did was that she started to tape the Oprah show every day, even if it was a rerun, and then she'd watch every episode twice, uh, taking notes, uh, listening for key phrases that Oprah says like, uh, you've got to try this product, uh, you must read this book, you, you should go out and, and eat this right now. And Robin did exactly what she was told. So, for example, in February, uh, Robin followed the directives and saw the movie 27 Dresses, had margaritas with girlfriends, voted for Barack Obama, made scallops in green curry sauce, brought all new Underwear, went to see Horton Hears a Who, watched a telly movie with her husband, went secondhand shopping, uh, bought a weighted vest to help lose weight. Uh, she invited some friends to have pizza. She bought a trench coat. She bought a black pair of back trousers. She bought a tunic top. She bought a white turtleneck sweater. She bought a black turtleneck sweater. And she bought a pair of white jeans. Can you believe it? White jeans. All of which she did because that's what Oprah told her to do. And as Robin said... Oprah only passes things on which she's convinced will help others. Because Robin trusted Oprah, she's Living Oprah. And that's the name of her blog site, Living Oprah. Now, I don't know what you make of all of that, but I mention it because if that is the sort of obedience that someone can have towards Oprah, how much more should we be obedient towards God? I mean, if Robin trusts Oprah and therefore is living Oprah, how much more, if we reckon we trust God, how much more should we be, should we be living God? If Robin can be bothered to daily watch and re-watch episodes of Oprah so as to not miss anything she says, how much more should we be daily reading and rereading our Bibles so as to not miss anything that God is saying? Because forget Oprah. When the God of all the universe says stuff, you really do need to listen. Uh, More than that, you actually really need to do what he says. And friends, that's pretty much what our section from Jeremiah is about this morning. It's a section all about doing what God says, or more precisely, it's a section about what can happen to you if you don't do what God says. Now, we only read a small section of our passage Earlier we read chapter 28, but the section I'd like us to think about is actually all the way from chapter 26 to 28, chapter 26, 27, 28, because the way this section works in the book is that it sort of provides us with a sliding scale of seriousness, that as you move from one chapter to the next, from chapter 26 to chapter 27 to chapter 28, what you discover is that the consequences of ignoring what God says They just get more and more and more serious until finally in chapter 28, as we've just heard, with a bloke named Ananiah, 
the consequences of ignoring, of ignoring and going against what God says, they reach their most tragic level. But we'll get to that in a moment. Let's quickly work through each chapter as it turns, starting with chapter 26, and a word of warning that God gives Israel in this chapter through the prophet Jeremiah. Chapter 26, let me just read the first three verses. Early in the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Stand in the courtyard of the Lord's house, that is the temple in Jerusalem, and speak to all the people of the towns of Judah who come to worship in the house of the Lord. Tell them everything I command you. Do not omit a word. Perhaps they'll listen, and each will turn from his wicked way. Then I will relent and not bring on them the disaster I was planning because of the evil they have done. Now, this chapter in Jeremiah takes us into a time in history when Israel are looking down the barrel of God's judgment. That's because for years and years and years and years, Israel have been treating God like rubbish. And now God turns around and says that he's had enough. And Israel, if you do not get your act together, I'm going to, he says there, bring disaster upon you. Now, if you were around last week, when we, uh, last, sorry, last year, when we looked at the first half of Jeremiah, this message is nothing new uh, to us. Uh, this is the message that rings through in the first 25 chapters of the book. We discovered it last year. That Israel have been utterly hopeless at trusting God. They've been utterly hopeless at obeying God. And because of that, God has said that he was going to uproot Israel. He was going to tear down Israel as a nation. Uh, They were the key words in the first half of the book, uprooting, tearing down, all because Israel's hardness of heart has made them run the risk of being rejected as God's people. Now, friends, over the next few weeks, we're going to see that as we move into the second half of Jeremiah, the second half of the book is a lot more hopeful, actually. The second half of the book will have a lot more positive things to say about the future that God has planned for a people. But here in this Opening section here in verse, in chapter 26, here at the beginning of the second half of the book, God is effectively repeating the same warning that has riddled the first half. It is the warning that Israel, if you don't get your act together, I'm going to come down on you like a ton of bricks. Verse 4. Say to them, this is, this is what Yahweh says, if you do not listen to me and follow my law, which I have set before you, and if you don't listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, who I have sent to you again and again, that you've not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh, and this city an object of cursing among all the nations of the earth. Now, Shiloh there is a reference to a shrine. It's a reference to a city which used to house the Ark of the Covenant during the time of the judges. Towards the end of the period of the judges, though, Shiloh was destroyed by the, by the Philistines and the Ark was taken away, never in history, to return to that city again. And so here Jeremiah is standing in the temple courtyard in Jerusalem And he's saying to them, look, Israel, unless you turn back to God, then he's going to treat this temple like that shrine. He's going to, he's going to move away from this house, never to return. It's a serious word of warning. That's why you get that stress, say, back in verse two about, uh, not, uh, having, is Jeremiah having to pass on everything exactly as God is saying it. Tell them everything I command you. Do not admit a word. 
Because you see, when the God of all the universe gives you a warning, that is a big deal. If the God of all the universe says, I'm going to count to five, and if you don't stop it, you're going to be punished, well, you need to stop it before it even gets to one. Because the God of all the universe can make you suffer more than you can possibly imagine. Which makes Israel's response stunningly stupid. Verse 7. The priests, the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speak these words in the house of the Lord. But as soon as Jeremiah finished telling all the people everything the Lord had commanded him to say, the priests, the prophets and all the people seized him and said, You must die. Why do you prophesy in the Lord's name that this house will be like Shiloh and this city will be desolate and deserted? And all the people crowded around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. And you see what's happening? God has told Jeremiah, pass on to Israel my word of warning. It's really important so don't omit any word of it whatsoever, which Jeremiah does. Israel do not like what they're hearing. And so they basically turn around and say to Jeremiah, hey, you better shut up or we're going to kill you. This is about as clever as going to the doctor for a checkup, and the doctor tells you that you've got a serious disease and so you turn around and then sue the doctor because you don't like that sort of news. It's a stupid thing to do and it totally shows that they have no idea of the seriousness of this situation. And so what happens now in the next chapter, in chapter 27, is you get a movement. You get a movement from a word of warning about a judgment coming to a command to comply to the judgment because it is coming. Chapter 27, let me read a dozen or so verses from verse 1. Early in the reign of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord said to me. Make a yoke out of straps and crossbars and put it on your neck. Then send word to the kings of Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre and Sidon through the envoys who have come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. Give them a message for their masters and say, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Tell this to your masters. With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it, and I give it to anyone I please. Now, I will hand all your countries over to my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I will make even the wild animals subject to him. All nations will serve him and his son and his grandson until the time for his land comes. Then many nations and great kings will subjugate him. If, however, any nation or kingdom will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, or bow bow there its neck under his yoke, I will punish that nation with a sword, famine and plague, declares the Lord, until I destroy it by his hand. Now, you're picturing what's happening here? All these envoys have come to Jerusalem to meet with the, with the king because they're all sort of having a get-together about this rising, uh, uh, rising power in Babylon, sort of like a United Nations get-together. And Jeremiah has physically put a yoke on his shoulders, like the sort of yoke that you put on bullocks to help them drag, uh, drag a plough through the fields. He's walking around with this yoke physically on him, saying to all these world leaders that have gathered, this is the yoke that God is going to put on you. Uh, you, you are going to have to wear the yoke of Babylon. You're going to have to submit to the yoke of King Nebuchadnezzar. And if you do not submit to that, God will destroy you utterly. Verse 12. I gave the same message to Zedekiah, king of Judah. I said, 
Bow your neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon. Serve him and his people and you will live. Why will you and your people die by the sword, famine and plague with which the Lord has threatened any nation that will not serve the king of Babylon? Do not listen to the words of the prophets who say to you, you will not serve the king of Babylon for they are prophesying lies to you. I've not sent them, declares the Lord. They are prophesying lies in my name. Now I want you to notice the change in tone here. God is no longer calling on Israel to repent. He's not actually telling them to get their life together otherwise, so that they will escape the judgment. Now the tone is more, guys, the judgment is coming. In the form of Nebuchadnezzar, the judgment is inevitable. I, I called you to repent, you refused. That horse has well and truly bolted. So at least now... At least now submit to the judgment when it gets here. At least now yield and accept my discipline. At at least now humbly receive the judgment that you could have avoided before, but you're not going to avoid it now. At, At least now receive it humbly or else you will be totally destroyed. You will be totally ruined. Seems a fairly reasonable command. And then you hit chapter 28, verse 1. In the fifth month of the same year, the fourth year, early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the prophet Hananiah, son of Azur, who was from Gibeon, said to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and of all the people, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, I'll break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years I'll bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. Now, friends, in the build-up of the previous two chapters, what we are meant to be seeing here is the unbelievable foolhardiness of what Hananiah is saying at this point. Uh, God has specifically commanded Israel to conform to his judgment. They could have, they could have escaped it altogether if they repented, but that, that, that opportunity is gone. And so now he's, he's commanded them to at least submit to it. Don't resist Babylon. Don't listen to any prophet who's, who says otherwise. And Hananiah pops up and says otherwise. In the presence of all of the people, he effectively says, guys, this is nothing to worry about. It's not going to be too bad. A couple of years max. Uh, even though in the previous chapter, Jeremiah has said that it's going to extend through Nebuchadnezzar and his son and his grandson. Hananiah's hopping up saying, look, it's going to be all over soon couple of years, this whole Babylonian thing is going to blow over. God has told me it's going to be all right. It's crazy stuff that he's coming out with. Admittedly, it's stuff that Israel would have loved to have been hearing. The guy is preaching to itching ears. Who would not prefer to listen to good news, easy results, uh, rather than Jeremiah rabbit on about the judgment of God? Problem is, Jeremiah happens to be passing on what the true and living God is saying. And uh, ignoring him is incredibly foolhardy. And that becomes obvious later on in the chapter. You get this interaction. Jeremiah at first says to Hananiah, well, amen, brother, I hope you're right. But then he eventually says, you're not right. Verse 15. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah, the prophet, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you. Yet you have persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. This very year you are going to die. 
because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. The seventh month of the same year, Hananiah the prophet died. Now, it must have been a bit of a tough call for Israel at this time. Think about it. You've got a guy, Jeremiah, standing up saying, you know, you guys are going to look at, you, you guys are looking down the barrel of seven years of judgment under Babylon. And you've got another guy, Hananiah, hopping up and saying, no, 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 no. God's told me that it's only going to, it's, it's no big deal. It's only going to be a couple of years. Who are you going to listen to? You've got two people saying that they're speaking the word of the Lord. Who are you going to listen to? Well, God says he's going to make it pretty obvious who you're going to listen to. You're going to listen to the one whose predictions come true. And so he throws in a prediction here. Because you have preached rebellion against the Lord, Hananiah, this very year you will die. And within two months, Hananiah is lying in his grave. That would have had a pretty big effect on Israel, wouldn't you think? I mean, what, it's sending out a very loud message. You don't go up against what God says. When God speaks, you listen. When God says things, you do those things. Even if it's a message you don't particularly like. Guys, when God says it, you do it. And this is just not an Old Testament thing. Okay, this is a New Testament thing. Uh, This is a Jesus thing. Because, oh, look, I know we often sing songs about Jesus being the servant king and we stress Jesus' grace and his compassion and his coming to serve rather than be served. And all those things are good and right and proper. But we must not ever make the mistake of confusing Jesus' meekness for some sort of weakness. That somehow we can choose to not do what Jesus says He is God's appointed king over us. He he is the son of God. Jesus is not the sort of person who makes suggestions. He does not offer recommendations. He does not give us advice. Jesus directs. He tells us. He commands us. When Jesus says jump, we ask how high, because he is our king. It's like that movie that's going around at the moment, uh, Jim Carrey's movie, Yes Man, basically about a guy who decides to say yes to everything that comes along in his life, every offer, every suggestion, every opportunity, uh, not just from Oprah, from anywhere, he says yes to it. And the movie's a comedy because that sort of life strategy will get you into a lot of trouble. But in a real sense, we are yes people to Jesus. We are yes people to God. And no matter what God says, we say yes, and we live it. No matter, no matter what our friends may say, we say yes to God. No matter what our family pressure might put on us, we say yes to God. No matter what the telly might tell us to do, we say yes to God. Even, even no matter what our own personal judgment or feelings might be, we say yes to God. Because this is God speaking. And friends, if, if Jeremiah is showing us anything, it's showing us the incredible importance of listening to God and doing what he says. And these chapters are highlighting that by showing this escalation of, of the consequences, the tragedy of not doing what God says. And so can I suggest perhaps that a very practical spin-off of a passage like this in Jeremiah a very practical application I would be thinking would be 
simply, um, we need to be reading our Bibles. We need to be doing what our Bibles say. Because, look, these are chapters all about the importance of listening to God and doing what God says, even when it seems to be the sort of message that you don't particularly are fond of. Uh, And if God has promised that it's the Bible that he promises to speak to us from, then surely, surely we need to be reading our Bibles. Surely we need to be making sure we're not missing out on anything that God is saying. And I know that that sounds a little boring, can't I come up with something a bit more exciting than reading our Bibles? Like that's hard to read your Bible in a busy life, isn't it? But friends, it is exciting reading a Bible in a busy life. And I wonder whether we underestimate that simply because, you know, we've all got Bibles. They're all so accessible to us. We live in a world where, um, you know, usually the rarer something is, the more valuable it is. But we've all got Bibles. I actually read that um, if you stacked all the Bibles that have been sold in the last 200 years on top of each other, you would have a tower 78,000 kilometres high, which would take the space shuttle flying at full tilt two hours to get over the top of it. That's a lot of Bibles. But just because they are readily available to you, don't let that cause you to underestimate how impressive and how important a book the Bible is. It's God's word to us. I grew up at Gosford on the Central Coast and I can remember taking a friend back to Gosford one time um, just for the weekend and all weekend he would, he would rabbit on about how, what a beautiful scenery it is there. The, the water, the boats, the hills, the greenery. And it honestly had never occurred to me because I grew up there. I'd seen it every day of the week. But he was just he just kept going on and on and on. How beautiful, how impressive is this? Friends, we must never make the mistake of just being so familiar with the Bible and being around a Bible, some of us all our lives, that we actually fail to see how impressive and important it is. Because, friends, that book sitting on your lap at the moment open, and I really hope there is one sitting on your lap open at the moment, because that is God talking to you. And when you open it, God is speaking to you. When you open it, God is equipping you for every good work. When you open it, God is instructing you how to live a God-shaped life. When you open it, God is making you wise for salvation. And again, if that woman can be bothered watching and re-watching episodes of Oprah so as to do everything she says, surely we should be reading and re-reading and re-reading our Bibles, to see what God says, to see what we should do. They reckon that uh, the famous missionary David Livingstone, when he started his trek into Africa, he, uh, he had this huge library with him in three packs, weighed about 180 pounds, but after they'd gone about 300 miles into the continent, he was obliged to start throwing away more and more of his library simply because of the fatigue it was causing all the people carrying the baggage. As he continued on, his, uh, on the trek, the library got less and less and less until they reckon it just got down to one book. One book, his Bible, because he reckoned it was the most valuable thing he had. Do you reckon that? Do you really see the Bible for what it is, God's word to us? Let's, let's keep reading it, eh? If your personal reading has dropped off a little bit, let's, res- let's resurrect it and let's get our act together. 
If you're not into a small group yet this year, it's not too late. Still time to get into a group. Let's keep reading our Bibles together. Let's talk. Let's keep talking about the Bible together. Let's keep reading books about the Bible. Let's keep listening to uh, the Bible on CD. Let's keep going away on camps and house parties and conventions uh, where we look at the Bible together. Let's keep testing what I or whoever is up here, let's keep testing what we're saying against the Bible. Because, friends, if Jeremiah 26, 27, 28, if they're showing us anything, they are showing us that when God talks, when God speaks, you've got to listen. You've got to do what he says. Otherwise, you will be in a world of trouble. Just ask Hannah and I. How about I pray? Father God, thank you that you are a God who speaks and that we have the enormous luxury and privilege of having your word, the scriptures. Father, thank you for that. Um, we, we honestly uh, underestimate that at times, Father, and we leave your word uh, unread for days at a time. Uh, Father, we don't think about it enough. We don't mull over it enough. Uh, for Father, help us this morning in the light of uh, these events in Jeremiah. Help us to sort of reopen our eyes to the enormous importance of listening to you, doing what you say. And so therefore, give us a fresh enthusiasm and fervour to read your word, to do what it says. Amen.